Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This is, um, well, this is a long time coming and a super treat to have uh, a guy on here that I've been friends with for over 20 years and who was so instrumental in me having a career uh, to begin with and being able to do this for a living. Edward Norton, writer, director, producer, actor, and um, incredibly loyal uh, and good uh, friend. Edward, thanks for being here. You got me all choked up. Right? Just when you were saying writer, director, actor. Oh, no, fuck I mean, that no, I'm part, kidding. That's the part. <laughs> no, God I'm damn it. You, you got me again, I Norton. Gotcha. You got me again. I was, I, even as you were saying it, I was like, you always set me up. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, uh, it does choke me up. I can't believe uh, Last night when you said 22 years, I was like, that, how is that possible? Like, you're not even one of my college friends. I know. It's crazy. Where we're old, dude. Oh, God. No, I mean, I just showed when you. When you told me your son Sam is writing a book with Neil Cottyle, I was like, I am fucking past it. Well, yeah, because he was two on Rounders. <laughs> no, he was. Like, he would come to set. Uh, and he God. was two years old. Um, here's, anyway. here's where I want to start. So Edward's new movie, Motherless Brooklyn, is out. And it is a must-see movie. If you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, and you are, um, you need to go see this movie in a theater as it's meant to be seen. But I want to start, um, and I was, um, Dave and I were around and watched Edward work on it from the beginning as a, as a writer and watching your commitment uh, and uh, determination and relentlessness was inspiring, Edward. Um, you know, I was, I was trying to understand last night, what do you think the actual number of years since, from when you read it to it actually being released? Uh, it's 20 exactly, because I read it in the fall of 99. When it came out? You read it right before it came out, right? I read it in, I got it in galleys. Uh, a friend, I was at a party in the village, and a woman I knew who knew Jonathan. Actually, I believe Stuart Blumberg, my partner, who you, you know well, writer-director, he, he was dating someone who was friends with Jonathan, and tipped me off that, um, that, that he had a new yeah, book coming. Yeah, I heard coming, you talk about it. And, and I got it in galleys. So I, I was going to say 20 years, um, 20 years. And, and Edward went on um, our mutual friend Tim Ferriss's podcast and really told the story in a granular great way. We'll get to some of it, but I encourage you to listen to that pod because I want to try to give a little more context to certain things. And, and one is I, I have to talk about how we first met because I'm really interested in the person you were then and and how much of this... Uh, this life you've been able to build, you saw, Edward. So um, when Dave and I wrote Rounders and um, we were, Matt was in the, was cast and we were just about cast, we had this crazy idea. Uh, Ted Demme said to us, if you could have anybody you want, they were going to maybe cast somebody as Worm who didn't have um, really credits that mattered to any of us. And Teddy one day went, what are we doing? Who, who would you guys want if you could have anybody? And David and I both said Edward Norton. You what was done that based on? Three, you had done the three movies had come out. And you um, were smart. You know, we could tell you were smart. And It, it is interesting, though, because Primal Fear, uh, I was in Italy for the Rome Film Festival. We, this movie, we opened the Rome Film Festival, and they did a little career retro. They did a little um, conversation with, and they showed a bunch of clips. And I saw clips from Primal Fear... And everyone says I love you. But and Larry, Larry Flynn, Flynn was also out, right? Yeah. But you know what's really wild is I made a joke about it on the stage. Like I was like, I never, I didn't even change my haircut. 
I didn't even change my haircut through Primal Fear. Everyone says I love you in Larry Flynn. Maybe on Larry Flynn I combed it the other direction and I had these little fake sideburns in. But it is astonishing to me that no one, including me, thought to say maybe you should change your haircut. It, it was the look in your, your eye on the front. It was the look in your eyes on the front steps of the Supreme Court um, when after when you've won the case mm-hmm. and you come out there Good and memory. there is this mischievous. Um, intelligence at play and you're it was clear what you were thinking and i remember putting dave and i putting all three of those things together and saying well yeah. we have these this incredible cast but this was the the, the amazing thing so they they fly uh Wait, you know I, I have to ask you because this is the moment i'm fascinated by that because in primal fear i'm basically doing like a, a you know a kind of stuttering uh innocent right then there's this flip into this like Thing. And I guess I do, I guess, because I'm trying to think, what would make you associate any of it with Worm? Because the Woody Allen thing is completely like goofball light. The Larry Flint thing, yeah, it's intelligent, but it's very square, very straight, right? And Worm is the farthest thing from square. He's, you know, Johnny Boy, right? So, but what... He's Eric Roberts in Public Greenwich Village to Dave and me, really? Yeah, but, he, but to, to me, you, he was Johnny, Johnny Boy. and Bugs Bunny to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But 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 I I I am curious what you what was it was there stuff in the primal fear in the in the in turn the, in the turn co- guy in the way he's sort of needling Richard because it, 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 because there's not a lot. Well, it's probably hard I, for you to see the your own charisma. Like the charisma is one of the hardest things to see, right? But Worm had to somehow be able to keep you. Um, the problem with Eric Roberts's character in Pope. And, it, and, and you're right, this is something Johnny Boy is bad. Eric Roberts, from the moment he, you start, you just want Mickey to fucking get rid of him. Right. Worm had to be endearing. So you had to be able to um, roll with him and understand why Mike was rolling with him until he couldn't um, any longer. These guys, poker players, are very smart. So it was really important to us that even if Worm as, uh, didn't do things the way Mike did, that you understood it. And... And, and it was also like we were just trying to put together an all-star team, right? Mm. We had Tatura, We had Malkovich. And it was like, you know, Maddie. And so the idea of, well, who's going to stand in there and really feel like, okay, we have a chance to make Diner? Because, you know, Dave and I, our biggest inspiration was Diner, mm-hmm. where these groups mm-hmm. of guys. And, um, and I, th- I do remember seeing Larry Flint and, and, and both of us saying, well, that guy can handle that kind of dialogue, too. That's the other piece mm. of it, I guess, mm. Edward, right? It's that those were... Oh, two of those, not Primal Fear, but the other two, had big bursts of dialogue that were had a rhythm, a musicality to them, and you had to be able to deliver that shit to play Worm, and you were able to yeah. deliver that shit. But so they they tell us, uh, everyone says, "Oh, Edward Norton's never going to do this. He's too big a star." And Ted Demi said, "That's so funny stupid. Too. I mean, it's like I've done, uh, like I, I was not a, in any way, shape, or form like a big star." Like, I mean, I, I literally had done three movies in supporting parts. But this was a supporting part, and they were positioning you to be a leading actor I at see. the time, right? I'm talking about the business people. I see. And then we get word that you are, that you like the script and wanted a, a meet just to know that it wasn't all bullshit or something. That's what they had said to us. And, and so John Dahl, the director, trusted Dave and me. And instead of John coming, going to L.A. to meet you because he was in prep, he was like, Brian and Dave, do you guys want to get on a plane and go huh. meet Edward Norton? So, um, which was super cool of him to do as a director, yeah. right? To trust yeah. us, yeah, nothing. 
<laughs> I mean, the two of us knew nothing then. <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a very Montana laconic it's a very clint eastwood move actually it's it's For sort George of like Nick. it's sort of like you know i care but not that much <laughs> that's like, funny uh, that's um, funny and maybe you know yeah it's sort of like it'll be what it'll he be he did care he coached us up but then um this is the part that i want to talk about so we get to cal la text you or call you and you say come over to my house we were going to take you to a poker casino we didn't know we were going to meet you and you said come to my house and um you got to remember, as I'm sure you remember everything on your first movie, I remember every detail of everything that happened on that film. And we, you let us in your house, and um, you're very warm and welcoming, but you immediately said, I'm working on something. This is the first thing you did, dude. You go, I'm working on something? Can I just show you guys 10 minutes of footage without telling you anything about it? <laughs> Do you know what you did? No. And also, I didn't have a house. What was that? Yeah, no, it was at your house. I, I, I'm the, uh, oh, the little, uh-huh, uh-huh. oh, it's funny. In the, uh, no, in Drew, yeah, it was Drew Barrymore's Right, but house. you were staying in Drew's yeah, house. I was, I was borrowing her house. Um, because I remember we walked in and on the right, that's where the Mark Halpern book was against the front of the, I remember the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So you go, come here, and you had that, the room had very little furniture, but there was that one, there was a big TV. Yes. And you go here, just watch 10 minutes of footage, and you fucking played us the first 10 minutes of American History X. Oh, God, really? That's, yes, you did. And you were like, I know, because we had just written this movie, and you were like, yeah. hey, tell me if this works, because you were, weren't you editing it then? Yeah. And, and so, literally, we walk into your house. Now, I don't know you then. I don't know you're a goofball in certain ways, and you're like us, and you're a re- I don't, I have no context other than the three movies. Right. And I, <laughs> I, I walk into your house, and I see the curb stomp, and then you turn around and get arrested all jacked up. Yeah. And then you're like, so, guys, you think it works? What do you think? <laughs> and, and I remember just being like, holy fuck, what am I dealing with? Like, what's this going to fucking be? Yeah. But, I'm, look, you were in this incredible spot. What did it feel like to Who be you? Who is this guy? Well, but um, I'm really interested in this, right? And then you were amazing, right? We went out together. We went to poker. By the end of the night, it was, and, and this happened with Matt. I mean, this did happen to the four of us. By the end of that thing, we were all like family in a certain way. And that's why these bonds have stayed for so long. But what did it feel like to be you in that moment, man, after those three movies and sort of making American History X and, you know, having arrived in California now at that spot in, in, in your life? What, what did it feel like? Um, I have to sort of think back on, I mean, I guess we're talking about, I, I, I feel like we... The only thing that's strange about that is that we we made Rounders. We rehearsed it in the fall of 1998. No, it came out in 98. It was 97. Oh. I know it was the end of 90s. We started filming December oh, you're 15th, right. You're right. You're right. No, I know. we made Fight Club in 98. Yeah. Right. Wow, wow. Okay, so that makes it make more sense. Yeah. We made, yeah, we made, you're right. It was early on in the, in like the post process of American History X. It's late 97, and I, yeah. So an interesting thing had happened right then, which is I was supposed to, I was going to do the original incarnation of The Runaway Jury um, that fall. Um, But what had happened, there was a lot. A lot, that year is a pretty wild year because in the spring, Bring the previous year, everything I did had come out all in one wave. 
Primal Fear came out in the spring. Or no, spring of '96 was Primal Fear. The fall and in the fall was Larry Flint at the New York Film Festival and Woody Allen's movie Crazy. there. And then the Oscars was in the spring of '97, yeah. et cetera. But my but my mother passed away in the spring of '97, yeah. um, literally like two weeks before the Oscars. And I was, you know, I was pretty. Um, I, I I was all these when you talk about like oh, you know, he's not going to do a supporting part, and they're queuing him up for big things, and what's the mode you're in? But the thing was. I had just like, I just had dr- I had dumped off of doing everything because like when my mom died, I was basically like my dad needed help. Of course. And I had been, I had been away working a lot, you know, I, all this, all the newness of everything that was breaking open for me was happening when my mother was getting ill. Ugh. And so I, my whole, my, not, not primal fear. But across making the Woody Allen film and then making Larry Flint, I was not having, I was loving the work, but any 48 hours I flew home. So there was no like, I'm partying, I'm hanging with Woody, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You know, it was like, it was like, do I have two days off? I'm going home. So I was, and, and the thing that was weird about that is, you know, on one level I was like, I need to not be working but my mother was like my biggest champion in of being that. and she was like she was like you are you there is no way you're not doing a Woody Allen film there is no you know cuz she showed me all my, all the Woody Allen films like we watched them and it's it was literally like it was a it was a strange moment because and and American History X we pushed because we we, we were going to do it and we pushed it they were very nice and and we we pushed it because she was really ill, and then, and then I went to it too soon after she passed away. Honestly, which which uh, is in that film. Honestly, I was going to say Derek it's, Vineyard. It's it's um more, more yeah more like the 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 second half yeah. of his story and stuff like that. But but it that was things. And by the time I got done that, it, when I got done that, I really kind of collapsed. I was like. I was like, I need to, I got to be like a human being. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I can't like just, I can't keep like, I, forget being careerist. I was like, I got, no, I got nothing. Like, I'm a, I'm not, I'm not in a place you to do anything. You were emptied I mean, you were emptied yeah, out. But it was right at this moment. So the, what was wild was I was supposed to off of, I, I, I was going to, play the lead part in um terry malick's the thin red line um the, the jim caviezel part right um which i've laughed about with adrian because i i knew that sean's part and the, and the part jim caviezel played were the really great parts and i had gone i had spent a year mo- a lot of that year i had been fly- i had also been going to austin texas to walk along the river with terry and talk about that and he was one of my idols. Of course. And I was very... Me too. I was very bought... I was very passionate about doing that with him. I was so excited about working with Terry Malick on his first film in Forever. And I had just worked with Milos Forman. And it was like, oh my God, Milos Forman and Terry Malick. And it's like, this is like the dream, you know? And... Um, but I call When my mother passed away, I... It was like a month before... 
I was supposed to go. It was it was the thin red line was gonna be like six or seven months in Australia, and I just felt my dad and just my family. I was like, I can't, I cannot leave. I can't go away right now for that long. It's too selfish. It's too, and I don't have it. I'm I'm not like in a good place, and I. And I told, and I pulled out of it, um, which was very hard. The fact that I pulled out of it shows that that it really wasn't even an option. You had to, yeah, yeah because right. if because and and so when I pulled out of it, I um, uh, Terry was very understanding, very humane about it, uh, and then there was like, and then I didn't do anything. I wasn't doing anything at all. I was just kind of drifting and then they came at me with the the runaway jury and Joel Schumacher was like really really leaning into me this is before David and I wrote the draft that became the movie this was a yeah and it was about cigarettes yeah not not uh not guns not guns and um is you know the guy on the jury is he's lost his sister to you know lung cancer right and he's going after it was the girl it was the girl. No, you figured out it should be him. It was right. the girlfriend, actually. Right, right. His girlfriend yeah. had had lost somebody. Right, and and, and yeah. he helped, and then did yeah. It. yeah. So it was it was. Uh, and anyway, there was a suck. And this is how crazy things are. It was going to be Sean Connery in like the Gene Hackman role was committed. Gwyneth Paltrow was going to be Rachel Vice's role. Yeah, the girl. And then you were going to be in Cusack. Yeah, role. and and um and it was all baked and and I was like very disinclined to do a Grisham thing. It was like, to me, that was not... At that time in your life, even though you had wanted like, to do the other Grisham movie that Matt got. No, that was later. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, they, 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 I was very disinclined, and I thought Joel was really nice, but it felt to me like a programmer, and these other things I'd been looking at were so... They were so rich, artistically yeah. rich. The Thin Red Line, you know. And then I... And then... Um, but Joel Schumacher, like leaned into me and leaned into me and leaned into me. And he, and he said all these things. He was like, you have to trust me. I need you in this to make it good. But you need to do one of these. You need to do a, a, a big starring part with big people. And this is your, you should do it. You should do it. And Ed Lamato, my famous agent, was going like, kid, you do one of these. The world is open <laughs> to you. The blah, blah, blah. And I'm sort of like going, and honestly. There's, and you're what, 27? Ninety six. Yeah, this is ninety seven. Yeah, twenty eight. And he, but honestly, a funny, funny thing happened to me, which is I sort of did something I don't often do, which is I sort of surrendered to, I surrendered to like, um, in my own mind, I was like, I'm too, I'm too blown out to do anything deep. I can't, I can't do anything deep. I can't. I pulled out of the thin red line. I I can't think straight, and I can do this in my sleep. Um, well, it's not something I've ever heard you say. But I, I can do right. this. I can do this, and there's a certain tactical argument that people are making that I don't really relate to. But, and and like I'd rather you know. But I was like, you know what? It's in L.A. I'm not in lots of it. I can slide over to the editing room on American History X, and I was like, you know what? This and I'll get paid really well, like more, like I, you know, I've been paid like, like 
you know, a couple hundred grand, I think, at most. Sure. You know, and it was like they were talking about like yeah, millions, the, yeah, millions, millions of dollars. dollars. Yeah, and I, it was like, wow, you know, just like life altering. And it just felt like, you know what? Don't be, just be, let, your, let yourself do something easy right now. It's good. It's fine. It, it can, you can, you can do this. And so they're doing it. They, and they make me pay or play on the movie. And then. That they, means they, they pay you. Though. I just want to tell yeah. people that means they, they pay you they, the they money. They give you a start date. And they have to pay committed. you. Whether the, the, the next day they don't want you. They, the studio is now committed to you. Yeah, they, they say you're committed and they say here's a start date, we're booking your time. And they had a start date and um and uh and then like Joel's Batman movie sort of tanked Tent. and he went through this like he went in the other direction. He was like, I need to be doing something serious. I can't keep doing Grisham Batman, Grisham Batman. He was like he literally I th- I think was like I can't. Everything he had said to me, right? He, he literally took on was your like, argument, he was like, man. I can't do this programmer. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Of course. And he and he bailed. Hollywood man, he bailed. He so bailed, the director right? bailed after they made you pay or play. Yeah, and he bailed. And and he, but here's the thing, you talk about like little moments. I was like, I was just like laughing. I was like, see, I was right. I was right, right. But it was Warner Brothers, back in like the Billy Gerber, Lorenzo de Bonaventure days. I didn't know these guys from. A fl- I, I wouldn't have known him if I'd seen him in a crowd. I forgot it them. was Warner's original. I never, I, never I met... made the movie. It was um, Fox, Fox Regency. Right. So I, so I, um, I, uh, I, yeah, and it was Regency too because they hadn't jumped Regency across. Regency through. Right? Anyway, anyway, so I'm like, I had this little thought with myself, and my big Hollywood agent, he's going, he's going, he's going. You sit tight. You don't say a goddamn word. You let this ride. You know, you're gonna get paid. You know, and yeah. then and then I'm gonna get you paid again. Right. He says that he goes, I did it for Denzel. Oh, you know so what funny. I mean? You're gonna get paid, and then you're gonna get paid again because you're gonna blah, blah. And I'm like, none of this sounds good to this me. This doesn't make right? sense. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, and I kind of had this little sit with myself, and I was like, you know what? Like that's not a good long game in this town. And so I asked to go. So I go into Warner Brothers, which I'd never been to. I drive into Warner Brothers, and I go to the big executive stores. I walk in, and I sort of said, Hey guys, I said, Listen, you know. Um, Honestly, all of this was Joel. I know Joel leaned on you to make me pay or play like earlier than normal. And I honestly was a little ambivalent about it in the first That's place. Funny. I literally said, I'm not, not to say nothing. And I said, I so appreciate it. But my, I said, my feeling is, let's just, you know, I know you, I'm, you know, you've got this you thing with me. You've got to pay me, but yeah, you don't I, have to I, I said, you know what? Why don't we just tear, we should just tear this up wow. and uh, shake hands and say, like, let's find another one. You know, and I was like, what could I do that could be more stand-up right. than walking in and saying, hey, this, you know. We, sure. This is an arranged marriage. Let's, uh, let's like, like each other for the long term, right? And, How'd um, that play out? <laughs> no, and they all go, they, and, and oh, these guys were great. And they all go, they all go, oh, my God, like. You're you're such a mensch. You're what a good you know. They're like what a, what a great guy. But 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 no, we're making the movie, and I was like, oh, because it's supposed to start in like four months, and there's no director. This is like like July or August, and I'm like, there's no director, and they're like, do you want to make the movie? Do you believe in the movie? And I was like, candidly, <laughs> I I was like, I I think there are things that could be great about it. I think this, this, and that, and they were like, Joel, Joel, they're like, we, we, 
people are lining up to direct this movie. Who do you think would be great? And I start dreaming and I start going, well, God, what about Sidney Pollack? What about um, this person, that person, Anthony Minghella? You know, sure. I'm like throwing out names and, and they start going, great, let's work on this together. We're, we're doing it. We're doing it. Like you, we want you in it. And, you, and I was like, okay, but now if I say yes, like I really am not going to do something else. So we really are doing it, right? And right. they were like, yeah. So I start like throwing names in and they're saying no, um, you know, they're saying no to people. And lo and behold, like the time comes around and the movie is supposed to start and there's no director, there's no production. And now Ed goes, he, he goes, you're getting paid. Like he goes, wow. you're getting paid. And so in my mind, I'm going, this can't be good. No matter what. It can't be good to force a studio to, to pay, pay me you two for million a movie dollars or whatever that you're not yeah. going to make. You're right. Yeah. It blah blah. It can't be good. And Arnon Milchan's lawyers get all toothy with, and then they look at the deal and realize Warner Brothers has boxed us in to paying money for a movie that's not going to get made. They were so angry, and then someone sent me the Rounders script, and in that, this thing, and I'm I'm just sitting there going. I, I tried to do the right thing, I've, but I'm really on the fence about, like, what should I do? And there was kind of this thing. And suddenly it came in, and they were like, and it was in the same slot. Yeah. And I kind of went, this is great. Like, this is great. This is really fun. And I could use it like as a let them off the hook thing because it was in the same slot. I could say, hey, whatever they give me. It remediates, you know, against, yeah, it remediates against that. And why don't you guys give me 50 cents on the dollar or what? It gives me a chance to have a great time, do exactly what I wanted to do in the first place with the kind of people I wanted to do it with and still get the same dough and Look make... Look like you're being really and, a mensch yeah, to Warner and Brothers. make them... You know, go, go, okay, this guy's all right. And so it was like, per and so it was really funny because that was the end of that year. And when you guys came out and I went around, it was like this, I, it was like the first lift I felt that year because that, the, it was a bad year. Right. That's yeah, what's course. weird. It was, it was, a, it was, it was, it was a, on a the great whole, year on one level and a bad year. It was a bad on, year. Well, because your mother, bad, yeah. that obviously dominates everything. Yeah, it was, a bad, it, was a, than that. it was actually, it was like the Oscars, I don't barely remember. Making American History X was like, it was like putting a finger in the dike, right? It was like a way to just shove everything completely to the side. Then it was just like, a, it was a bad year. It just nothing, everything was like, I, I just was, it was a bad year. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, and at the end of the year, it was like, okay, this is starting to look like the fun that all this was going to produce, you know, when it kicked off uh, uh, two years ago, really. You know what I mean? Right. And, it, and so I did feel going into Rounders, like, I, it was kind of like this deep breath, like, all right, I'm allowed to have some fun. You know what I mean? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that night felt like, obviously, to, the two, to Dave and me, you know, like I said, we watched the American History X thing. We're like, all right, this is really fucking intense. Um <laughs> Then, you know, you had a Mark Halperin book, which meant the world to us, to people who don't know, not Mark Halperin, Mark Halperin, they're different people. Um, and then going out into those poker casinos, you were already sort of 
and it was great because we could see you were already sort of figuring out watching and figuring out mannerisms and, and, and had, how to do the thing. Um, but had you, because of what went on with your mother, did, did you not get to really enjoy the whole thing until after, until you were in New York on Rounders and then after that when you went off and did Fight Club? Like, like you know, you said something to me during that because of um, uh, somewhere on Rounders, I remember you turned to me because it was such a learning experience for me and you said, just so you know, you're going to be around a lot of people who become famous. The first two years people become famous, they're kind of useless. Do you remember saying that? <laughs> no. You did. You go, the first two years someone becomes famous, they're useless. Don't ever worry about what someone does in the first year. It was great. Because you had just come through. You were just on the other yeah. side of that, kind of. Did you get to enjoy it then? No. Um, I, I mean, and the funny thing was, Rounders was really fun. I thought Rounders really was like a spot of, of lightness and fun and kind of, uh, you know, because obviously like, I remember we set, we shot in some bar on 8th Avenue and like 16th or 17th Street or 18th or 19th Street. I don't remember which bar it was. Billy's Topless when you, when No, no, it wasn't Billy's Topless. Which no. was all the way west no, no, also. No, no, that was 6th Avenue yeah. with Mike Rispoli. Yeah. No, we shot on 10th Avenue and in the teens, just north of Chelsea Market. It was the bar where Matt and Martin Landau oh, meet. Oh, of course. I don't yeah, remember yeah. what it was. Yeah. And I wasn't in the scene, but I did something else earlier that night, and I was just... It was emblematic because I was done. It was New York. I was done. It was like go to. My, I had a cool apartment. It was like go, but I didn't want to. I was like I'm hanging yes. because Landau. I think it was Landau's first night, right? Maybe or something it like was, that. or like maybe his and last like, night. Yeah, or something like yeah. Yes. Maybe it was that. It was his last night. He came Whatever. Back. And it was like it was like we're, it was like you guys were there. Teddy was there. Uh, Matt and Martin yeah, Landau. Yeah, Philly. Or the whole thing. Yeah, and everybody was there, and it was cold. And I remember in between takes, like or whatever, Landau came, I remember one night in particular that we were standing on the corner and everybody was sort of in big, you know, big coats and Landau was telling stories about like James Dean. Oh yeah, I uh, it too. But, yeah. but he, I still laugh because he did the, um, he did that whole thing where he's like, well, you know, me and my pal Jimmy and we would go up to the, to this roadhouse outside Ventura and we would, you know, do this thing and I would say, Jimmy, you know, we gotta go to these things and he would say, Marty, we gotta do this thing and I would go, Jimmy, we gotta do this. Jimmy Dean. Like, he, <laughs> no, he, he would he talk would. for like, he would tell the story for like fucking nine minutes about something I would do with my pal Jim. And I would say, Jimmy, and we would do this, and we would do that. And then he would pause and go and look around the circle like, Jimmy Dean. And, uh, and I mean, I laughed so was, hard. Well, I was was like, it Cleopatra? That, uh, Cleopatra's Liz, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and, and Richard, Richard Burton, Burton, right? Yeah. So that was, and he's in that. And, and he uh, is? He, yeah, he has some small oh thing in it. And he goes, he, he goes, uh, you know, I was the only one in the makeup trailer with the two of them, and I was the only one who knew what was going on. <laughs> like, because I guess that's when they fell in, whatever. And he would, yeah, constantly. And I was like, you know, you're barely kind of able to hold on to what the fuck that is. Um, um, so, so yeah. Anyway, that was fun. And then, uh, uh, and then did you get the Fight Club script in the middle of that? Yeah, it was across that same fall. It was across the same fall when we were rehearsing and whatever and uh, he yeah he sent it to me and i read it and i, I knew it was great and i and uh that was all that, that things were s sort of to me in that moment things sort of clicked started clicking a little bit like in the sense of you know like okay this this is i'm i'm okay to start to get into gear and enjoy myself and and rounders was super super fun and um and then um 
you know what's funny too is like details. I I had this very funky apartment for a while on Rounders. I had I still live you know I lived in New York since college uh, after college and but I got this during Rounders. I got this little apartment that was a tiny tiny little brown so it's not even brown so it was a, one of those two story you know the you know the greasy spoon diner in the village on Hudson on uh, Hudson called um, um, Bon Bonnier. Of course, yeah. Yeah, like right, right by Jane Street, yeah. right. And we're, we're very close to there right now. Yeah, yeah. and and um, and there are these tiny little things that are from the 1800s. They're two stories tall across the street, and I had this little apartment that was very funky, like super, super. You could literally imagine like Bob Dylan and Susie Rotolo living yeah. there. Yeah, of course. I, it really is that kind of a joint, like creaky old stairs and weird and everything. I feel that all the time when I walk around here, by the way. And I see, and every time I go by there now, and the funny thing is in Motherless Brooklyn, the scene of me and Willem in the diner when he says, I'm hungry, you uh-huh. can buy me dinner. Yeah. We go in the diner. It's We use Bon Bonnier. And um, it's that really pretty Edward Hoppery looking shot at the start of the thing yeah, looking I know. through the glass yeah, of course. in our thing. And the whole night we were, it was snowing the night we shot there with Willem. You know, and I live three blocks from there and Willem lives like two blocks from there. And we were both kind of just going, isn't it, isn't it fun to, like, work in New York and things? And we got talking. And I said, you know, I lived, across, I lived literally right there across the street. And he goes, oh, that's funny. I lived, I lived uh, right here around the corner. And it was kind of like, the, you know, the, the, it, it's amazing to work in a place where you've worked. And you see ghosts of yourself. Dude. Like, I see ghosts of myself on these sets and doing these things. And the, and the thing is... Like rounders too, you know. So that apartment and the 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 places we worked and the, the details of it are are so funny. Because remember the um, BlackBerry? It wasn't even called BlackBerry. It was called Rim. That right. was the original company that made the BlackBerry. But the Rim had the original little black pager. It was the LED screen. It was just a black rectangular pager. That you could text on. Right. Oh, sure. It wasn't that a phone. Of, I don't really remember. It wasn't remember. a phone. It had it had the BlackBerry. I remember because I had by then a little phone from my record biz days. Like I definitely had a no, little. No, this was we had phones. Phone. We had a Motorola flip phone. But this was they came out with their texter, and it was it was right. a small rectangular thing with the great thumb keypad that BlackBerry was was that's what everybody loved. But all you could do was text, and Matt had one, and so and I was like, and I got one. And David Blaine, who yes. I, I just met David, which is another interesting thing because I'm, I met David on Rounders because yeah, you introduced he, us to him right then. Yeah, because I I, so I met him through Aline Kashishian, the agent who had given me the Rounders script, and um, she represented him. And I said, and he was like a kid practically. And I said, you know, hey, I got to do this thing where I get caught bottom dealing. And, you know, can you show me that? And he, and he said, like, I'd love to, you know, he was like, I'd love to help you in any way. And I was like, can you just show me shuffles? Can you show me, like, enough to look good? And he was like, look, bottom dealing is really hard. And David said, well, I'll show you stuff, but I, you should really just meet Steve Forte. And David introduced oh, yeah. me to Steve Forte, who's the all-time great manipulator of cards with the purpose of cheating yes like he's written books i mean there's books and stuff videos so second dealing bottom dealing david was like there is literally nobody better didn't david come up with the ace thing or did steve come up with the ace thing how catching a hanger no um if you remember when you first uh 
see Matt, you're like, I gotten really good, and you, you oh, keep yeah. and, and I know how, you know, we both yeah, know yeah, how you yeah, did it. Kept but who came gaze. up with that? That gag? David, that was David. Yeah, I remember you coming up to us. Yeah, and and, and what, saying, I know how to do the thing. Well, yeah, and what's funny is, what's funny is actually jumping forward and connective to like that's yeah. when I became friends with David, and then when we did the Illusionist, Dave, David, um, and Ricky, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, Ricky, Rick, Ricky, obviously was our main. Dave and I went. Levine and I went to Ricky and Michael Weber, and then you had Dave. Yeah, and... no, no, and and I, I I went to I spent all the time with Ricky in L. A. Yeah, on the big stuff. You took us to fifty two. We went to fifty two pickup. Fifty two uh, assistants. Assistants together on the west side. Me, you, and Levine. Yeah, at the before, at the Geffen Playhouse before the movie. Yeah. But, but no, in they, New York, in New York, oh, in New on York? the west side in New York, you took us. Oh, you're right. And then, at second um, stage. One of us went on stage as the assistant, yeah, the tenant, yeah. whatever. That... That's wild. That's really wild. I, but, but David, David, again, really specifically, when I was showing him the film, he was like, this, you know, obviously, you're, he said, you're already working with Ricky and Michael, and they're like the kings of the period, you know, 19th century yes. historical stuff and everything. But when I said to him, when we were working on The Illusionist, and I thought, the 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 orange trick the thing of the the tree the mechanical orange tree growing of out of the pot and the whole thing i had a notion that i wanted to do something fluid with the orange in my hand right. and da- and i was talking to david about that and he goes oh let me show you michael motion and so david showed me all the old videos of michael motion the juggler who won a macarthur genius award and you saw Michael Motion doing those things where a ball seems to roll around his fingers and on his hand. And I was like, wow, do you think I could even do like one bit of that? Like the thing where he puts it on his fingers and it rolls across. And and David basically like, D- David knew some of Michael Motion's techniques for the hand ball stuff. And he worked with me on that. I have a few things that I want to make sure that we get to re- related to, to things that you've said that I can just come out of. And, and one of those is, what you're really talking about is the beginnings of building a creative community that you could lean on and, and, and who all could lean on you too. And, and for David Levine and, and me, that is probably in a certain way, one, you know, one of, if not the greatest thing that came out of that time was that all of us, because we were young together and because we had a lot of the same intentions, would consistently check in with each other share scripts with each other, talk yeah. through creative problems. And um, and I, I remember, you know, Runaway Jury, which is hilarious. I've never talked about th- th- that on this show other than when I had Grisham on. Um, but Dave and I were at a weird spot in our career. The, a strike was coming. We didn't really want – originally we were like, oh, we don't think we're the right guys to do this. And then an agent made the same call to us that Lamato made to you. Tom Strickler was like, you have to do this if you do this and you – are able to deliver a greenlit draft, you will then be the kind of writers they can come to for a great... He mm. was like, there's a math reason. Right. Yeah. Really the same. He goes, there's a math reason why you need to do Runaway Jury. And David and I said, all right, and we called you because we knew that you had... We didn't call you to be in it. We knew you would... It was very clear you weren't going to be in Runaway Jury. But we called you and we said, why did you ultimately want to go off that movie? And what do you think... Because we knew you'd studied it and we respected your take on scripts so much. And I remember you said, because the main character, when you really take it apart, doesn't have personal incentive. He's not connected to the problem. Right. And if that guy doesn't have his own reason, he can't go through all this just because his girl, whatever. And I remember we had this like um, hour-long convo with you. And at the end of it, 
we understood what it's we like. Don't bury the lead. Yeah, it was like, it was literally like don't like, bury the lead. Yeah, look, if this guy's gonna you you said like either you make the woman's character either the the other character has to be the character on the jury. Or if yeah, if it's the dude, then that guy has to have his own reason. And you know, again, we were all young. Dave and I were still in our thirties, and and um, you unlocked it for us, which and 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 we've all done that for each other, and um. I don't know. There's something I don't know if people understand that there is this creative community. And haven't you found you've gotten tremendous value out of that? Not just with with us, but with this whole sort of cohort of uh, uh, peers. Yes, although it's funny because, um, like, I think I think on Rounders, you guys were the nexus. Like, even though John Dahl came on, yes. and even though all these actors came on. The truth of that whole thing emotionally is that you guys were the nexus. It was your thing. Yeah. It, uh, it it just was, and 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 because it was fun for all of us, but a a career inflecting moment for you guys. You you, you derived. M- the, a network out of it more than the rest of us sure. in the sense that so you're at the hub everybody else state you stayed connected to matt to me you yeah, know to malkovich, to Teddy, to John, yeah, obviously, to, to to malkovich everyone, yeah. all of it and right Dahl. yeah of it, course yeah you you built these like threads of connection and it beca- and and we've done the illusionist you guys the the runaway script i said stuff like that you guys unlocked motherless brooklyn script issues for me when I was struggling with that but what's funny but I don't you know a community a, that's not a community a, that's not a community that I built but I but it's a it, it's a connect it's you guys built a network that's that you've expanded oh, on yeah, ever but since. I'm talking more about that whole period of time for you and the way that I'm not sure people know that sure you go from movie to movie as we all go from project to project and build these but I'm, I'm talking about, in general, that there's a creative community of people that you've built. Yes, but, but what I was getting to is, what's interesting um, is, I watched that happen with you guys. While we were doing that, you know, Matt had, uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting was exploding yes. at that exact moment, yes. like, right? And, he, and, and Matt and Ben and Casey and, and uh, you know, the, 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 their, their crew like was lighting up into like a thing that is still there, you know, that that's like all of their thing, right? That's their, their club, their clique, their, their crew. Um, And, and I went on over to, I went on over to Fight Club and, you know, was one of my great experiences without a doubt, not just like what the film became, but just, it was just funny and fun and vital. And we were making things, about and I loved those guys, but in a way, like Fincher and Brad had already and sustained. Oh, from of like course a, they had they 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 were like a, you know they they were a, a a team, you know what I mean? And um and they, they've they've used they, they've they have this alliance that's gotten a lot done. They got a lot done together, you know what I mean? Over the years, and everything, and I. I have frequently gone through, and I, by the way, I felt this way in high school. That's what's weird. Like I was a floater. Like I never, I never had a group of friends 
in high school. Um, really? I was a complete floater. No, like I, I, I was always like, I, I was always on the margins, uh, and and in, that was not true in college. Like I had an amazing. You had a real I, community. Yeah, in college. and that and that's my my deepest bench of friends. Yes. The, the people I met when I was eighteen are my tightest, longest group, but. Um, but in the movies, it was funny. I would sometimes like, like, move around and and be like, I can see, I can see that that happens. That there's like alliances of people, and you think about like Redford and Newman, or you think about yes. like um, the Coens and like their crew, and you're just sort of going like, like, you know, the dream, the because the dream of every actor, I think, is to be in a repertory company. Right. You know, is to be like part of a theater, tr- a troupe. That was part of my romance for sure. Was like literally going back to when I was in college and read about Orson Welles for the first time. When I first read, I don't even know Melvin Douglas's book. Or, sure, which, whichever is. What, I don't what, know what, that book. I know Melvin Douglas, of course. Yeah, but I, don't I know, know that book. I don't know if I'm right that it was him. But anyway, the best Welles book is the Henry Jaglum. If you haven't read that, yeah, that's the greatest. But yes. I, I remember thinking, my God. He was 25 years old. He was 25 years old. And he, he was more adult from the time he was 18 or 19 than most people. But still, he was this very, very, very young man. But what he did when he got his shot to be a wonderkind kid and direct a movie and he made this thing is he took all of his New York theater and radio people and brought them across into Citizen Kane, Agnes Moorhead, Joseph Cotton, all these people that he knew knew him weren't gonna like look down their nose at him like some snotty kid. That he he was already he was already he already had a troop. You know what I mean? And he and he took them across. And it like that always made me go, that's what you want. You want like you want people who you don't have to prove yourself to. You know what I mean? Who 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 kind of yes. do things. But when I but when I, you're talking about community. I like had made great like you guys or you know John Curran when I went and made uh, um, the Painted Veil with him. And then another movie, two movies with him. Yeah, you know, and uh, um, I I really you know wanted to keep working with him or whatever. But we, but it's funny. Like I until I started working with Wes. Yeah. Until I started working with Wes, I really. Did not. I have never once working in Hollywood felt like I was in a group, the, the, a group, or in the cool kids club. Like I always, I always felt that. And maybe it's partly like being a, a New Yorker and never totally buying into being out there, or the nature of the things I did. Like I couldn't be more tight with David McKenna, who wrote American History X. We we went through the fire together. Right like bonded forever you know what i mean like and uh um but he does his thing you know there's i have great like histories with people but and but unless i've done my own thing i never i had to create my own ones like i i i i you know, on Motherless Brooklyn, I had to like pull together. But you have my your. Gang. I mean, you did make your production company with your like best friends for like li- Bill yeah. and and Stu. Stu. Yeah. Um, and well, it's fascinating that you've but, felt. But like Wes's, Wes's, you're part thing, of that world. Wes's thing was the one that mo- that I most sort of felt like 
in a weird way, invited into. I want to cover a couple of other yeah. things that are really related to you. One, I want to firsthand talk about this idea that you monkey with scripts. And I just want to, I want to, I want to give you a writer's perspective and then talk it through because when you showed up on the first movie, now you and I have made Which two first mo movie? rounders. When oh. you showed up on, on the first movie, I remember um, you came up with five of the best lines in the movie. And um, that wasn't monkeying with the script. Uh, and I remember the, the being a writer and... Um, around the first day you, you came up to Dave and me and you said something like, uh, hey, I have an idea for this. Uh, maybe, maybe the line isn't this, it's that. And you know, the rhythm in Rounders is so specific. And I remember having a moment of panic, which is where any of these disagreements come from is creative panic, where you're worried the ground's going to fall out from under you. And, I, and, and then Dave and I just saying to you, hey, bounce anything off of us. If we can have a relationship where you're going to come up with things, if a line feels weak and you have a better line, if we can then say to you, we don't think that one's better, keep going. And I don't know how much you remember this, but I remember we would get in this rhythm where sometimes we would say, hey, dude, there's a reason this has to be like the way it is because it plays in these three ways. And you went, oh, yeah, of course, done. Or you would say something like snow and pierogies and shit. <laughs> and, um, and I find your contributions to be so additive and that if somebody meets you, I just want to say this like on the record with you here, like... If somebody meets you from a place of security and a place of trying to make the work better, it's a fucking delightful experience to work with you. And, and it only makes the end result better. And, but I think if somebody comes from a place of holding on incredibly tightly, then it can be difficult because of the part of you that's like Lionel in Motherless Brooklyn. Because what I see when you tell the story about Lionel, and you say, well, it's an actor, you say all sorts of reasons why the character was appealing to you, but what I see, having watched you and thought about this stuff a lot, is you're like Lionel, aren't you, in that if thing? Like, if you can hold, when you get something in your head that it's not landing right in creatively in a story you're trying to tell as an actor, I just think you have to chase it down until it feels right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's a bit in the movie where he talks about, in Motherless Brooklyn, he talks about how he can't stop doing a thing if it doesn't sound right. Yes. Um, and that, that's, that, that, that comes from um, an, a thing I saw in a documentary. Uh, it's the, the, remember Chris Jackson, the NBA player? Yeah, Muhammad Abdul Roof. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah. What, what did he, well, I, I, right? Isn't that the name? He yeah. became Muhammad Chris Abdul Jackson. Roof. Yeah, right. Sorry, I, 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 I forgot in in the I'm pretty sure that's yeah, right. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I I didn't know him as a player. I wasn't tuned into him as a player. Yes. But in the documentary about people with Tourette's, he was still Chris it, it was I understand. It was before he changed his name. Yeah. yeah. So, um he talks about the reason he has Tourette's and the reason he became a, one of the reasons he became a great free throw shooter was that he couldn't stop he couldn't leave practicing free throws until he hit 10 in a row where the sound of the net was exactly right yes. 10 in a row. And I remember thinking that's amazing. Like that's that's so wild the and I really related to that. Like I really related to that. I the compulsiveness all my life since I was a kid I've had a compulsive impulse to mimic people to like zealot like 
to if I'm talking to someone with a Chinese accent, I start unconsciously. I can't stop myself from, like, I, my brain gets completely fixated on what is, what is are they doing? What is the shape of the mouth that's producing that sound? And I was talking about this with Larry Wilmore the other day because he's a re- he he does good impersonations. He's so smart. That guy. And we oh talked. God. Larry and I had a really interesting talk about the the being very young and being so obsessed with the sound of people's voices that you're almost like in a movie, you're doing a mental processing on what does the tongue look, where is the tongue in the mouth that's producing that sound, you know what I mean? Yes. And and I think, I talk about this with Matt sometimes because Matt's very good at, Matt Damon's, uh, he does great impersonations and stuff. And, and I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting in the car when we were doing, um, the stuff down at Princeton yeah. uh, or whatever. We were sitting in the car and he was doing either Morgan Freeman or Denzel. I remember that night was so cold glory. and you guys were in, we were stayed in the, in the car, car the whole time. We yeah. were doing Midnight Run. We were doing all kinds of funny things. We were doing different ones, but it was funny because um, he, you know, kind of everybody does Matt McConaughey and I think everybody's is pretty good, but Matt's is Matt's really the, good too. Matt's maybe the best. It's good. Justin Long's is really, really good. Have you ever heard I, Justin Long? No, I believe you. Ooh, it's really good. And Jim Carrey's was not bad either on Saturday Night Live. Um, but there is a, this is going down the rabbit hole, but there's this Go funny ahead, thing of the like, rabbit hole. Uh, you know, you know, I, I have a cold right now, but I, I can't do it. But McConaughey's thing, what's, what's interesting is the whistle. He has it's the whistle in his teeth, right? There's the, and the funny thing is Ian McKellen has that too. Like when you're talking to Ian McKellen, it's, it's that sound, right? And he really does, it's not bad, wonderful, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, um, he one time said to me, uh, when we were both up for the Oscars or something, he goes, oh, my dear boy, my dear boy, that's, it's, I was like, isn't this fun? And he goes, no, it's horrible because I want it. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it really made me laugh. And I said, oh, well, you know, I think maybe you're going to get it. Uh, cause you know, Tom's gotten it a couple times yeah. and my thing with the swastika and Nick Nolte's pretty dark, you know, you know, like I, you know, it could be your year. Oh, and, really and funny. no, but, and Ian said, Ian goes, uh, he said, he goes, he goes, well, it's, it's fine. So you're wonderful. You're wonderful. Any, anyone, as long as it's not that fucking Italian clown. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Benini. So Benini, who then of course of won. Of course got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hilarious. But you were really saying funny. about this, this obsessive. But, but I want to say he was being funny. Of course. Um, but, yeah. but I was wondering, you, well, the thing that I recognize, because it does, I think, is the way that you're misunderstood, Edward, which is the, when someone is an actor and their the reputation is they're going to fuck with stuff, it, it presupposes that the thing shouldn't be fucked with, and it yeah, presupposes exactly. um, that you came into it saying you wouldn't fuck with it, but it also presupposes that it's driven by ego. And uh, driven by a need to make yourself look good. And I've never seen that. Right, I like that point. I so think, let's um, talk, can you talk about it a little well, bit? Well, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's layers upon layers uh, of horseshit in, in what you would call like re- reputational things. The, the first is, that, is what you said, that um, a, any, anybody who's pushing on the work, like... There's people who are, there's people who are exercising themselves. Th- th- who knows what they're doing? Forget whether they have the chops or not. The intention is about the me. It's yes. like it's a, it's it's it has something to do with assertion of ego. If people are working hard 
to put pressure on the piece of coal to turn it into a diamond, and that's really what it's about, then people outside the trade should just F right off because they don't understand. Like, the whole thing is a collaborative process of collective pressure on a thing that is not a thing. It is, it is um, a mirage. It's like a, a movie. And by the way, a script is not a movie. A script is an armature that a movie gets hung on. I think it depends, but yes. Yeah, but I think there are times, this is what I was say, like I remember when you were going off to do your first Wes Anderson, I remember saying to you, are, are, are you I was at your house and, and I was like, are you going to be able to just go and say the, you know, those words? Yeah. And you were like, yeah, I read the script. It's what it should be and I'm going to go say the yeah, words. Yeah, um, uh, but I, by the way, but by the way, in that case, it was still an armature. It's still Wes's armature for what he yes. was going to create. It doesn't, changing words doesn't change the fact that a script is not a film. Like, Mu- there's there's music and there's the way it's photographed 100%. and there's the, the proscenium quality of Wes's films and there's the costumes and there's also like discovery of shit that just doesn't work along yes. the way um, and 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 it it's a frame that you it's a frame that you continue to build the sculpture around and that's just a fact it you you can't project a fucking script onto the screen. You know what I mean? Yes. It is photography, light, music. Yeah, script actors, reading is voices. quite. Di- a script reading is quite different than the yeah, final. Yeah, it ain't a movie. It ain't a movie, and and it's this layer cake that it. The, a, Milos Forman told me films are sculptures, and that's the most true thing. And he told me that shooting a film is gathering clay. He, he was Milos was like yes. not dismissive of scripts, but Milos like was like the script is like literally. A, a place, a step one on a hundred step journey. He was like, he prioritized casting and editing. He was like, those are the two most important things in film. Those are crucial. And he, and he, you know, I'm just saying people have different views of it, but the bottom line is the thing that's most true is that it's a sculpture. The script is the, the armature, the, 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 the form, the frame. You gather clay when you shoot, you sculpt it later, you add varnish, you add glaze, you... That's that's what it's like, you know what I mean? And but anyway, when people when people work, when people's focus is let's make the best thing we can make, nobody should ascribe automatically the intention of ego to it. That's just not the case. That there there are lots that's of right. people, there are lots of people in our trade who work with a very passionate intensity on the thing itself. I've worked with Julie Taymor, I've worked with David Fincher, I've worked with like Spike Lee, Alejandro Iñárritu. Like if you think those people aren't ball busters, like, you know, and I've worked with uh with writers who were who were being pushy, demanding, whatever. You've worked with actors who are being demanding. Like but when people are working on the thing, when they're when you know what they're doing is is caring, investing, and bringing to it uh, um, depth of thought and care, you just have to respect that. I know there are many, many, many films where the process is full of, of struggle of different kinds, even interpersonal creative struggle that ends up where, and, and if the people are all good, always, they shake hands and go. That was that was that well, was fucking great. You're right. That you know ex- what I mean? Yes, the, Dave and I always talk about when you've been in the wars with people. Yeah. 
by that you are bonded. Yeah. No matter what, as you go through that stuff. Absolutely. And 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 when you when you when you argue even and get to the end and shake hands and go and go, you know, respect, man. You you're you take this seriously. Yeah, we're in it. You take this seriously. Yes. We did it. And and um, the thing, you know. What could be better? Like honestly, what could be better? You want to be in a grown-up trade, or you want to? And I guess or, or, you know. I, I guess it makes sense to me because David and I have this process ourselves first because there are two of us. Yeah. So we are yeah, exactly. in it, talking in about it. this stuff and trying to improve and really um, check it. I, I would say the only but, thing, Milos, me, go ahead, yeah, you. People who are secure. Yes. To your point, people who who are in their own shoes and on their own footing. Almost never resent no, you real, welcome the conversation. real work with I, real people. I would say there are terms. I would say you can set the terms of engagement, right? On a certain project, you well, can set. That's it too. So, so the thing is, the other, the other, you know, the big distortion, the huge distortion say that it. comes in on on like an actor. Yeah, say it. I mean, me is what were the terms of engagement? The terms of engagement are key, beyond key, because because. When someone inv- when someone says, I need you in on this thing, you know, I need you in on it, and you say to them, Yes. No. Yes. This no. is right. This is and crucial. And they say, why? And you say, because, in my opinion, th- these things don't work. It doesn't work for me. And they say, we're going to fix that. Together. And they say, I want you uh, to be not only a part of that, in some cases they say, uh, uh, take a pass. Know, yeah, or yeah, take a pass or whatever. And that gets reduced down to he gets in people's faces because or I think he it's fully valid. I think it's or, yes. or, or he monkeys with scripts. It's like, hey, Mofo, I'm not monkeying with the script. The studio's paying me a weekly for five weeks to do a punch up on this. That ain't but, uh, me but especially getting in if someone's you, face. Well, especially, this is what I say. I think it is perfectly valid for an artist, a writer, director, a writer, producer to say, we're going to make this. I've thought about this for a really long time. The rhythm of these words really matter to me. I'm not very interested in changing it. You want to come? Yeah. And then if you but say. By the way, that is what. Um, Every film I've done with Wes Anderson, That's Alejandro and Yeruto. Right. Yeah. It's like, and, and it's it's like, do you want to come no. do this? And then if you say yes, those are the terms of engagement. That's right. And I've seen, I'm saying, I've seen you do that and be like, great, let's go to work. But How much way, fun. Also, we, we get, you're also getting into um, the, the, the territory of what I would call like, so, so the, the, the terms of engagement are, are, never, are never given context you know, like oh, in the never, yeah, in course. these stories, in these stories that come out, the terms of engagement are never given context. The 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 truth of um, the truth of the fact that that good lots of the people who have real chops are never in the end uh, intractable uh, in, and in, intractable or offended. That that the truth right only insecure people who often don't really have any chops, um, and who are lying about what the terms of engagement were York, are I, the people who beef about this stuff. No, I, 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 and, I agree with you. It, and, it, and 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 um, and the other thing is is that, and this 
sort of uh, is the other thing is like like so you know like on American History X for instance there's all this story about like conflict on that right but see the script of that movie was written by David McKenna um, David McKenna uh, it was it was edgy and it had a whole drug subplot and all this stuff it wasn't it wasn't the full-on Shakespearean tragedy that we made it. And I thought it, w it was full of potential, but I thought it had a lot of, like, milieu fat on it, and it had this thing that was not being realized, which was, like, it, was a it could be Othello, it could be Macbeth, it could be a completely focused on how rage destroys a person, right? There was no prison sequence. That's amazing. There, right? there was flashbacks to a lurid image of him being slammed against the wall and raped. That's it. There was not one bit in David's original script was about the nature of what had transpired in the prison that had changed him. And when we sat down and everything, he's the best. David is the best. And, he, and when we talked for a long time about all these things, he lit up and he was like, oh my God, dude, like, let's fucking go. Let's go. And, and he said to me, he was like, Let's tear this thing apart. Help me out. I want to make it. I want to do it with you. Blah, blah, blah. And he said, just one thing is, this is my first script. It's really important to me. It's a career-making moment for me. Whatever we do, I don't care. He goes, write, do whatever. I, I need this. You know, this is my script. And I was like, and I literally put my hand out. I was like, dude, done. Right. I, I, I it's like, of course. all I want to do. Let's do make them, something let's make together. it incredible. Done. We worked for like months and months and months together every day. Him writing, me writing, doing these things. We worked on that and turned it into the thing we wanted to do, right? Yes. We wanted to do. I would no more betray David, like the rules of engagement. I would never As you did with that. us, I want to say yeah. on on rounders. And I remember you literally said I I, I was I remember where we were standing outside that country club um, where the, that first scene with with you and Matt in the in the, that long um, crescent shaped driveway thing and and you said uh, if I think I can find something funnier I'm gonna try to say it if you guys want me to go back to the script I'll go back to the script whatever and it was yeah. like hey. And like I say, I think there are there are five or six lines in the movie that I know Dave and I didn't write, and I am so <coughs> fucking happy that they're in the movie. And then the rest of it is exactly the script that we wrote. Yeah. And but but the thing is, the thing is that that's on something like American Jacks, What happens is, the New Line, they they we we started making the movie with Tony. Tony told me. Oh, yeah. and, Tony told me and David, I have no I, I have no experience with narrative, literally whatsoever. He said, I'm a. a, a Right. I understand the moment. He literally used yeah. to say things like, I'm a photographer, I understand the moment. And he was like, he used to say, I leave that to you guys. I leave that to you guys. I, he goes, I think this is fantastic. I know what to do with this. And for all of Tony's like, well, he did. He had, he had a great, you know, and he's an amazing photographer. Um, has a great eye, a great sense of things. He wanted to use the photosonic cameras on the turn. And he, had a, he has like amazing visual instincts, right? Um, and... But it was to such a degree on that film that he he would pull up um, he would pull up in his car and say, "What are we doing today?" And we would say, "It's the scene at the table with Beverly D'Angelo and Elliot Gould." Right, Edward, if rehearse it for a while, get it all together, and when you're all ready, call me. Right, and then he would go do phone calls, 
and I would rehearse, essentially like act like a yes. director, rehearse the scene, and then we would go get Tony, and Tony would watch it like an audience, and then he would go, right, great, amazing, amazing, don't anybody move. And he would run around, set up lights, put the camera on his shoulder, and, and shoot capture it, it. And shoot it. And we would go, and this was obviously unorthodox, and we were all young. And I in, remember thinking, well, this is great. We're, we're all a team. We're, we're, this is unorthodox. David and I are working on the script. I'm sort of handling the, the, staging. Way, the staging of it. Yeah. Tony's shooting it. But Tony was, I, I could, Tony throughout and on into the editing, he was a person of great emotion. And on many occasions, he wept. Like would would he would break uh -huh. down in in tears and he would give me a hug and say I have never been this supported I have never had and, 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 and if I can say, just I just want to I've never had a collab I've never been supported I just want to jump uh, yeah. uh, uh, slightly ahead because we have to end soon and I just want to say yeah. um, I'm going too deep into this but um, I, no no you're not because here's why I want to jump ahead because I saw the cut that you had to work from I because I was yeah. there I want to just say like the thing about the rap about you in this way and. Again, as someone who's made movies with you and then been around a bunch of them, like um, the cut that exists of American History X is because of what you did in the editing room. And I know that not because you told me, but because I watched. Yeah. You showed me the but cut also, that existed before and the cut that you know yeah, it's important yeah, to just say it because uh, yeah, I'm an objective but, but viewer. Also, but, but also people don't even understand like Tony had a commercial editor who did this really gonzo cut. No, nobody could make heads or tails of it. Tony got a little insecure or whatever. Tony went off to shoot a commercial, it, it literally in the middle of the whole thing, and the whole thing was sort of flatlined. Literally no one knew what to do. And I got on the phones and called around. I didn't go in and, and cut it. I, I went and... I, I went and, and I did some stuff to like reassemble stuff that Tony did into a more full-throated... A way that it told like, the yeah, story. Like, almost like a script assemblage, right? Just so that, so that an editor would know what we had to work with. And I went and I got Jerry Greenberg, who won the Oscar for The French Connection, Kramer versus Kramer, yeah. Apocalypse Now. That Literally, those are his credits. I got that guy to come in and work on the movie with me and Tony... Many times in the course of that process, Tony wept and said to me, like, you know, like, I've never been so supported and everything. And I had great love for the guy. Like, I, he, was, he was a very, he's a very the, the, eclectic the, figure and everything. But, but, but you weren't things, serving your, I just want to say watching it, all you wanted. I remember you showed Dave and me that original cut and then later cuts. And you were like, tell me. Like, you were so open yeah. to being told, but, here's what we're, but and, also, and being we, we engaging. sat and we went through this whole thing and everything. Tony went through, uh, Tony went through um, a struggle to let a thing go. He he and he and, and by the way, and I'm I'm not saying this critically, but it's also one of those things. People, it's like, what has happened since then? How many how many films has Tony completed since then? None. And I think he's a great artist. I I actually really do. I think he's a gr like a great conceptual artist and a great thing. I witnessed him go through a personal struggle to complete a thing. Of course. To complete a thing, to let it go. And he's an extraordinary talent. He captured that. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's a real yeah, incredible no, to thing. To let it go. He, and what happened, just to say, yeah, what say happened yeah. is not an argument between me and Tony. What happened is Tony, in my opinion, he, he struggled to let it go.
he struggled to do what Francis Coppola says and abandon your film. Like, don't you don't finish it, you abandon it. Meanwhile, Coppola's still recutting Apocalypse Ex now exactly. 40, exactly. 40 years you, later. You abandon it and, continue and, to make and it the abandonment, I literally watched Tony go through at the exact moment that people, after 13 months of post, that Mike DeLuca and Bob Shea went, guys, it was worth it. Congratulations. What a visceral thing. And I, I literally watched it drop through Tony. Oh, my God. This this is it's over. It, this is over, and he, he kind of lost his mind a little bit. Like he didn't want to let it go, um, and and I I, I I sympathized, but in the end, the the argument that developed, such as it was, was actually, I think it was just a person acting out, sort of flailing, about you know confronting the logistical realities of how long you can work on a thing and having to let it go, and. Um, and it actually initially was kind of this Dadaist provocation between him and the studio that I literally, I could point to the single article in Entertainment Weekly that, it, that tagged me with it. And from there forward is this whole story, this whole Well, I'm glad we got to story. tell it in the way that no, it was. But, but to me, there's a thing in that that's, that's interesting, which is we weren't in the clickbait world then. Yeah. But we are in this world we're we're in a world today where where there's only been since then an intensification of of reductivism right we we reduce we always reduced things but two things have happened one is there is in our culture horribly there's this people like to create narratives of antagonism they they like to create narratives of antagonism and I talked about this in the New York Times when I talked about it, but the the Russian the Russian military intelligence units of the GRU are literally working to foment conflict in America. That is now a documented fact. It's in the Mueller report. We have we have people outside our country working to destabilize our country by intensifying so, social conflict. Okay. Yes. It is literally like Spectre in James Bond, just so discord, right? But we also have um, these new economies of online advertising that have led to a clickbait, clickbait journalism, which is literally what words can we put together that will make a person click on? Yeah, what thing. will spike your blood pressure? Yeah, so it's like the tabloids on crack, right? Of course. And and what and what gets done out of that is that. Like, if Martin Scorsese says something that, as a man in his 70s with a full career, he, he, he says something that he has every right to say, and it gets reduced to an assault. Literally, like, they, they, they make it like one of our great elder statesmen and philosophers about film has literally balled up his fist and punched someone in the face. And it's just, it's grotesque. It's really grotesque. It's really, it's grotesque to, to, to create conflict where it doesn't exist for the purpose of getting people to hit on things and punch through and read so that you can run ads. But people have got to realize, like people, even people in our industry, I think people have to realize, like, we're being manipulated. We're just being manipulated all the time into believing that that 
fights exist, that there are fights all over the place where there aren't. You know what and, I mean? And this is why, and I'm going to end here, you were right about Fight Club all along. What do you mean? That Fight Club was a movie that people needed to see and understand because it presaged the whole culture. It really yes. did. In many ways, presage uh, it, the, the culture. And I, I will say, the first time I saw Fight Club, I didn't get it at all. And um, as we do for each other, I told you the truth. And you were like, you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I fully remember you going, you're wrong. And, and then... Uh, Wow. See, I didn't even remember what you were saying when you were saying you're right. Like I, I yeah. I well, like, of course, because then a year later I saw it again, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is the best movie of all time." You know uh, that does happen. And and before we started this, and this is where I want to end, Edward, because we um. Before we we started this, you and I were talking about sort of uh, about Motherless Brooklyn and um and about the business realities of something like that. And what I I was about to say, but I wanted to hold it for now, is. The one thing that's really occurred to me by doing this for so long is that what the game you are playing isn't about what people think of your movie today. It's about what this work means and the way in which this work's going to be related to years later. Because if I think about Fight Club, if I think about Rounders, if I think about American History X, if I think about so many things you've done, they, <laughs> over time, your instinct for what is capturing a moment in time that might not be recognized in its time, but that comes to be recognized, is pretty unerring. And, um, and that's why I think you're one of the great movie artists of our time. Well, thank you. I, I will say that I think... Uh, to, to, to claim that that's by design, though... Is not true. No, of no, course no, it's not by design. Uh, yeah, pe- people, people, it's ex- instinct. No, though. people externally assess like careers, and then it's almost like they take the data points and they impose a shape on them or a narrative. Well, we're on humans; them. we have to yeah. put an order yeah. to things that have exactly. no order. But they, but they, but I think that um, I think I tend to get interested in things that I find provocative, intellectually or spiritually or whatever, or that like. I feel like resonate with the moment. I've definitely, you know, it's produced. I can't lie and say it. It, it doesn't produce. Um, there's an emotional beta in it, of course, because you invest very heavily in, with the conviction that the that the that the thing has a weight and a even an entertainment value. <clears throat> and then there does seem to me to be a pattern of like you know things that have a lot of complexity and a lot of sustaining power oh, yeah. and everything don't necess- are, are tough to distill. They don't necessarily connect they're, right away. No, they're some of the toughest ones to market and they don't and and you can be as thick skinned as you want, but as a human being with a brain and an ego that lives in the matrix of an industry that measures short term success and and short term yes. financial success, um, you 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 you're subjecting yourself to this constant process of like you know, because it's funny. Uh, I mean, I've done films that did really well, even films like The Illusionist that didn't make like a hundred million dollars. Made a hundred worldwide. We yeah. made the movie so cheap yeah. that it was a, it was a big hit, right? Yes. And and it's um, and you know, and, and it's great when 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 Grand Budapest pops off and it's like you know, Wes's biggest film. That that's always nice. And you know, Birdman is a weird weird movie. Uh, really weird movie, not a highly accessible mainstream movie, 
and it broke it broke through enough not crazy it made 50 million bucks in the uh, US won the it best made picture. 100 million but it won best picture and it and it did well it it and ended up being as weird a movie as has ever made a dime of profit right, right. and 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 that's that's nice when when those things happen but like a lot of the ones in the stack up of films I've done that generally make like the top of the list whether it's Fight Club of or course. 25th Hour or Matrix whatever they n- not not only weren't in like awards matrix um, even b- but weren't financially successful and and it always it always stings you know it always like you can't help it like it it's not to sit to act like you know i'd like to i'd like to think like bob dylan doesn't care ever about what was successful in the pop matrix in the course of his career i i wonder if i wonder if you know over the course of a career it he had his moments of just going like, I know I'm relevant or I know I'm admired, but God damn, look at like what's making money these days. Like, you know what I mean? Of course. You don't know because he's, he's, well, a, let, he's a disciplined artist who, who holds himself close. He holds of his course, cards but close. But of course, right? course it's going to hurt. And so to wrap it up, I'm going to say this. Since these things can hurt, go see Motherless Brooklyn. <laughs> don't hurt um, Edward's feelings. Go see no, it. No. It's a great movie. It's really worth your time. Go to the movie theater so that more movies like this get made as movies. Yes. Go see it. And Edward, thank you for giving me one of the most special um, dinners. I ever had in my life last night when you took me to dinner with Bruce Springsteen. I won't say anything else about it, but the fact that that happened and was a surprise was like the greatest thing of all time. And um, folks, you, Ed, you, 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 uh, you were very, you kept yourself very. I did, uh, right? Calm. Yeah, I kept yes. myself. Not one cool. embarrassing moment. Yes, it was very. Um, yeah, very, no, it was. I, it was very. Uh, yeah, very hard. And then no, no, that's no. Why it was, I had it was, to. It was cool. I had it to was, just. Uh, um, when when it was over, I did go home and I was like, I actually got through that. I, I survived. No, no, you were great. It was great. Um, thank was you, thank enjoyable. you for that. It was amazing. And um, Motherless Brooklyn is fantastic, and everyone should go see it. Edward is on Twitter. He will tweet sometimes. Are you on Instagram or no? Uh, yeah, I I hardly I. I, I confess to just using these things in a very um, lazy, tactical yeah, it's, it's way. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but he's there but yes, on, on Twitter. You can find me at Brian Koppelman. You can email me at the moment, PK at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. See you next time. 